All right, well, it's good to be with you today. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Anthem Church, and we are excited to be able to continue our journey through 1 Peter. This is our fourth week in 1 Peter, so if you are just jumping in or if you are new to Anthem Church, we're so glad to have you, and we want to invite you to even go back and take a look at the last few weeks as really we're going to see these building on one another. And this week is kind of the last week of Peter's introductory thoughts before he really dives in to the rest of what he's going to be speaking in and talking about throughout the rest of the letter. So these first four weeks are really important, and we want to invite you to go take a look. And this week we're going to be looking at the next two verses. That's going to be 10 through 12. And before we jump in there, though, I, I, I don't know what life was like for you growing up. I don't know if you had and maybe some family members in your life who would on occasion maybe say something along the lines of, Man, you have no idea how good you have it. You have no idea what it was like for us to go to school. Or you have no idea what it was like for the racial tensions that our grandparents went through. Or if you have no idea what it was like back in fill in the blank. A lot of us have heard the, the, you know, the silly story of, you know, when I was a kid, I walked to school in, in the snow, uphill, both ways, coming back and forth. And again, parents, sometimes, and I'm a parent now, and I understand this too, I've done this with my own kids. Do you know what would have happened to me if I did what you just did to me? Uh, do you know how good you have it, is basically the thing that I'm saying. But I remember one time in particular, and again, this is a little bit of a, a, a silly analogy and story, but hopefully it will play forward as we go. But I remember one Christmas, I, I really wanted a pair of rollerblades. And I got this, this pair of Zetras back in the day. And if you know what Zetra rollerblades are, man, we are, we, are, we are tied together. It's a beautiful thing. But I got this pair of Zetra rollerblades, and actually, they really weren't that good, very middle of the road, by the way. Uh, I got these pair of rollerblades, and I got them Christmas morning. I put them on right away. Uh, there was a smile across my face. I was pumped, and I was so thankful to my folks for getting those, getting me those rollerblades. And I spent maybe a week or so really kind of thankful and using them every day, and it was awesome. But really soon thereafter, it didn't take very long that I stopped being thankful and grateful for those and started just more so being in an assumed space of, these are my rollerblades. This is now the normal. I don't need to be thankful for them. They're just mine. And then after a period of time, I no longer even used those rollerblades. Definitely wasn't thankful for them. I had moved on and now started to want something more. I wanted lightning rollerblades, which are way better than Zetros, by the way. All of that's just a silly story to help kind of highlight some of the things in which we're going to talk about today. Because the reality is there's so many of us that take for granted the moment in history in which we are. And today, as we look at these few verses in 1 Peter, Peter's writing into the church in Asia Minor to encourage them and hopefully lead them toward delight and rejoicing in the time and place in which they live in history. And we're going to look at how this is the most exciting time in all of history so far. And the same encouragement that he's wanting to bring to the church in Asia Minor, he's wanting to bring to Anthem Camarillo as well. 
So the passage we're going through today, it's, like I said before, it's at the end of the thought. It's the last piece to kind of Peter's intro. And so we're going to start by reading the entire uh, first, the entire first 12 verses um, to help give us context because they also play a role into what we're talking about today. So let's go ahead and open up to 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired faithfully or excuse me, carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would teach us as we go through it today. Be glorified in this time. Continue to grow us and shape us to be more and more like Jesus. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that we've talked about with 1 Peter is 1 Peter, um, the entire letter is built around this idea of growing and becoming resilient disciples of Jesus who are unwavering in the midst of this harsh cultural moment, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is kind of the big idea throughout 1 Peter. And to bring us up to speed as what we've walked through so far, Peter, he's the disciple of Jesus who is filled with flaws. He walked with, talked with, followed Jesus. He's the one who's bringing the letter here. He's writing into a group of churches in Asia Minor. He's not writing to one church. He's writing to a group of churches, many of which have come out of this movement, out of Acts 8, where persecution came upon the church in Jerusalem and the people of God began to scatter 
And so as they scattered, they continued to not just go, but they continued to bring the gospel with them wherever they want, went. And so here, Peter's riding into what's modern-day Turkey, and they're facing various trials as a result of following Jesus. They're not facing various trials just because life is hard. They're facing various trials specifically connected to their commitment to Jesus. And Peter applies to them a certain identity right at the beginning that they are chosen exiles. That they are chosen by God. And that this place in which they're living, Asia Minor, it's not their true home. They actually have a citizenship which is in heaven, which we'll talk more about in the later weeks. Peter reminds them of the truth for those who follow Jesus that we've been born again and have a living hope that's secured in the resurrection of Jesus, that no matter what we may face, our eternity is secure. It's being guarded. It's undefiled. And we can live with confidence following Jesus with all that we have here and now. Also in this entry, in this, in this intro so far, he encourages them that trials, suffering, persecution, it's but for a short time. And it's not without purpose. God is refining his people, his followers of Jesus. He's refining us, his church, to be more and more like him. So no matter what we may face, we are able to rejoice in Jesus, the joy of our salvation. So that's where we've been. And now we're getting into the the last part of this intro. And so we're going to take this first verse concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Here in our passage, we see that prophets of old longed for this moment of time when they could see and be a part of this new covenant. There are many prophecies from the Old Testament hundreds of years prior to the arrival of Jesus that predict the coming of the Messiah and the ushering in of the new covenant. And here he's highlighting to his listeners who are in the midst of various trials that thousands of people, millions of people before them have been longing for this moment in history where they could be recipients of the work of the Messiah. What Peter's highlighting here is that this is the most exciting time in all of history. This is what people have been longing for since that moment in Genesis 3 when the fall took place. When sin and death entered the world, ever since that moment, all of history, all of humanity has been longing to be right where you are at right now to be able to taste and see that the Lord is good, to be able to be recipients of the new covenant. And I want to share with you two passages from the Old Testament that highlight this era in which Peter is saying, do you do not forget how privileged you are to live in the moment that you're living right now? Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 highlights this new covenant. It says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. 
my covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. Peter's highlighting to them that this is the moment in which you live. The new covenant has been ushered in. Jesus' blood has been shed and he has been resurrected. He rose from the grave, proving that death had no mastery over him. We also have this beautiful prophecy in Joel 2, 28 through 32. After this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter's writing to his listeners and saying, brothers and sisters in Asia Minor and in, in Camarillo and beyond, this is the era, this is the time in which you live. Jesus has gone to the cross and he has made peace, shalom possible between you and the Father. And not only that, and when he ascended into heaven after he was glorified, he, de he decimated Excuse me, not decimated. He disseminated. He shared. He gave the Holy Spirit to all who would believe. And so we're not walking around as orphans, but we're actually recipients now of the new covenant where he says, I will be their God. And I will make my dwelling among them. This is the time in which we live. And Peter's trying to encourage his listeners, that whatever they may be facing, know this is the time in which you live. Does it change how you interact with the world around you? Does it change how you face trials of various kinds? Peter's wanting to make sure his listeners understand. He says, also in this section, the grace that is yours. What grace has he highlighted in this first chapter? that you are called, that God has called you, he's chosen you. What else, the, the grace that you have, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you and he's sanctifying you. You've been born again into a living hope, secured in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and your eternity is secured because of Jesus. What, other, what are other graces? I, even, even the part around suffering, even if you suffer for a little while, just as Jesus was glorified, that promises for you and I too that we too will be glorified. And this is a weird thing for us. We often talk about glorifying God, but God in his word also talks about glorifying us. What does that mean? Ultimately, what that means is he makes us into the image of Jesus. That he will continually make us to be more and more like Jesus or like we've learned 
throughout our time at Anthem Camarillo that God is changing us from degree by degree by degree by degree to become more and more like Jesus. Glorification's waiting for us, meaning that we will be fully like God intended us to be. We will be given new bodies. There will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. We will be fully complete. Ultimately, this grace in which Peter is talking about is that we live this side of the incarnation and resurrection. Jesus, the promised one who would take away the sins of the world and usher in the new covenant where God would dwell with his people through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we live on this side of that promise. This is our, our current inheritance. This is what we get to experience right now. Peter's reminding his audience that you're living in such an incredible time in human history and in God's salvific plan. He's encouraging them almost more than that to continue to, he's trying to continue to encourage them to rejoice, delight, dance, be in awe and amazement of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. Continuing on, in that verse, we, we see this phrase, Spirit of Christ. This is important language for us to catch because Peter could have just said Holy Spirit here like he does a verse later. But Peter's doing something intentional here. He's connecting these believers in Asia Minor and us, who are thousands of years past that, to the entire narrative of Scripture. He's connecting the prophecies in the Old Testament, not just with generic the Holy Spirit, with specifically the Spirit of Christ. And what he's doing here is he's making sure that those who come to faith in Jesus don't fall prey to think that a new religion has started, but that this is a continuation of the story of God. That the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, is the same Spirit that spoke through the prophets of old and prophesied the coming of Jesus, and also is the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, and also is the same Spirit that now dwells within you and I. Peter's making sure that he is connecting Jesus not just with something new, but he's connecting Jesus to the overall story arc and narrative of God's redemptive plan. This is also important for Peter and his growth. Because this phrase, the Spirit of Christ, it's actually directly connected to both suffering and glory. But Peter, as we talked about in week one, he didn't fully grasp what Jesus needed to go through so that we could experience the grace that we taste today. What happened when the authorities came to come and take Jesus away? Remember, Peter rips out the sword and he slices the dude's ear off with incredible precision because he can't fathom the idea of his savior, of his friend, of his Lord suffering. He couldn't fathom Jesus' suffering, and I get that for sure. If I spent three years with a man that had changed my entire life, I don't know that I could fathom that either. However, notice what Peter says here. He's learned and he's realized what the prophets of old had talked about, that the Messiah must suffer 
As we read in Isaiah 53, reading the suffering servant, and that is by his wounds that we've been healed. Psalm 16, which Peter references in his first sermon in Acts 2. 16.10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, Peter has grown to a place where he understands that there is suffering that does occur, but God will not allow it to go to destruction. In Acts 2.25-32, Peter, during his first sermon on Pentecost, he quotes this very psalm. And in verse 32 and 33, says that, this is what God did. He rose Jesus from the grave and exalted him. Peter is reminding his readers and listeners that Jesus is the promised one of old. And we all, all of us, are not a part of a new story, but a very old one. God's plan of redemption from the beginning and his eternal desire to be with his people. He's connecting what feels and might seem like a new move of God with the Old Testament, which is going to be helpful for us to understand in upcoming weeks as Peter will draw on the Old Testament for encouragement as we live lives following Jesus today, growing as resilient disciples of him. With that phrase, Spirit of Christ is important. It's intentional specifically to connect that the Spirit of Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit was the Spirit that was speaking through the prophets, it's the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, and it's the same Spirit who dwells in you and I. And that same Spirit was present during the suffering, the same Spirit that was present during the glorification. And because that was true of Jesus, that's our assurance, that's what is our inheritance, what's coming for us as well. Moving on. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, them the prophets, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. So here, it was revealed to the prophets that not for themselves, but for you, they were ministering these things. Things now told you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is kind of amazing. Of course, the, the prophecies of old are yes to help confirm and affirm the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. They, of course, also serve as an encouragement to those who are originally heard these words from the Lord, that God is at work and that he is faithful. He has not forgotten you. But what Peter does here is he goes on to show how their faithfulness wasn't simply for their own benefit. But now as part of the grace that you and I and the church in Asia Minor are experiencing. Because of the faithfulness thousands of years ago of people and faithful men and women to write down what God told them, we're now recipients of this amazing gospel truth. Not only that, but there were faithful followers of Jesus who were dispersed when eruption, or excuse me, when persecution erupted in Acts 8. And in Jerusalem, they dispersed. And followers of Jews, Jesus moved out of Jerusalem, past Judea, past Samaria, 
And as we see in Acts 1-8, to the ends of the earth, or in our circumstance, Asia Minor, which again, you play that out, the Americas, and now Camarillo, the gospel has gone out over and over and over again. But how did it go about? How did it keep expanding? Because there were faithful men and women who proclaimed the truth of the gospel. In community groups this week, one of our questions was around who was it that shared with you the truth of Jesus? Or who were the people who played a role who proclaimed to you the wonders, the truth of the good news of Jesus? It was amazing to hear the many names and stories of people who shared the good news of Jesus with people. But I'll tell you what, every person's story involved someone else. Every person's story involved someone who was willing to speak. In most of the stories that I heard from people, it wasn't people who were moved to speak because they felt like God would be upset with them if they didn't share. It was because people were moved to speak because they were in awe of Jesus. Because they recognized that because of what Jesus accomplished, that promise from Jeremiah 29, that he would remember our sins no more because he would forgive us our sins because of what Jesus endured on the cross on our behalf. And because we could experience forgiveness, they wanted others to experience that forgiveness. And not only that, they, they truly believed that even no matter what could come our way, hardship, pain, trial, and even death, it could not separate us from the love of God and that our eternity is secured with Jesus. And so those faithful men and women, or like for me, my mom and dad, my uncle, my grandparents, Dan Snow, Chuck Gerwig, John Marshall, these these faithful men and women proclaim to me not out of legalism and not out of guilt and not because they were afraid that God might smite them if they didn't, but they shared with me about Jesus because Jesus meant something to them. They shared with us about Jesus because they truly believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that if we have any desire to get to the Father, it's going to be through Jesus. And if we have any desire to live an abundant life now. It's got to be rooted in Jesus because life will be hard. They shared about Jesus because Jesus is the best. They shared about Jesus because they answer, he answers the most difficult questions like, why am I here? What is my purpose? What happens when I die? Or something terrible happens to me or one of my loved ones? How can I live a full life in the midst of hardship or poverty or wealth? Jesus is the answer to all of those questions and has been for thousands of years. And Peter is wanting to just celebrate with the church in Asia Minor. You live in the most exciting time ever. Because you are in an era where the grace of Jesus reigns. And his Holy Spirit is with the people. Delight, rejoice, and celebrate. This brings us to the end of our text, which introduces an interesting perspective. You might be asking yourself, what's up with the angels in this passage? 
We have some onlookers who are, who are peering in to see what's going on. You see, not only did the prophets of old long to see what we now see and experience, but we have these angels. These heavenly beings are looking with expectation and anticipation of how the church in Asia Minor and the church in Camarillo are going to respond during this time. A friend of mine was talking about this section and it kind of cracked me up. The, the, the picture that came to his mind was, was kind of like angels sitting at the edge of their seat with their bowl of popcorn in hand, eyes wide, and just like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? This is the most exciting time in all of history for the church because Jesus has come, the Holy Spirit has been given. Do they recognize the power, the authority, the life that they carry? Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen? I don't know if we view the time in which we're in as something that's exciting. If we're living in anticipation, not of the destruction, but of the life that God can bring right here, right now. When we have angels who are looking on, we see this picture in Luke 15, two times we see what they do. There's two instances here. It talks about how the heaven, or excuse me, how the angels rejoice and engage with what's going on here. In the parable of the lost sheep, we see this in Luke 15, 7. It's just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then just a few verses later with the lost coin, Luke 15, 10, 10. Just so. Not John, not Luke 15, 10, 10, Luke 15, 10. <laughs> Just so I tell you, there is a joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I know it may be strange to, for us to think about, but not only were the prophets longing for the day that the Messiah would come, but so are angels. And now it seems as though they're waiting almost with bated breath, waiting, watching in anticipation as the people of God, followers of Jesus, continue to proclaim and share the truth of Jesus with others. It's like they're waiting with party hats on, confetti poppers, and those annoying kazoo things to celebrate each and every time someone gives their life to Jesus and chooses to start a relationship with God. And guess what? They've been throwing lots of parties since now there are over 3 billion people in this world that declare allegiance to Jesus. However, there are 7.6 billion people in this world. There's still a lot of celebrating to be done. You had someone share the amazing grace of God through Jesus to you. Are you willing and ready to share Jesus with others? Not because you have to, but because Jesus is real. He really came to earth. He really is the promised Messiah of old and really is the one has, that has proven to us that death does not have to be victorious. He really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
So how are you and I, how are we responding to this grace? In the Gospels and in the first century, we see people, when they begin to realize who Jesus was, they, they went crazy for him. They traveled 10, 20, 50 miles on foot to come here and preach. People climbed up trees just to get a glimpse. They tore roofs off buildings legitimately so they could get their friend close to Jesus. They pushed their way through crowds. They spent a life savings to worship at Jesus' feet. Have we become too familiar with the time in which we're in that we've lost the awe, the joy, the celebration? When was the last time we delighted like children over the fact that we belong to Jesus? When was the last time we delighted that we're living in a time where we actually get to experience the completed work of Jesus? That he has forgiven our sins and remembers them no more, as Jeremiah 29 says. Or in Joel 2, that the Holy Spirit has now been poured out on sons and daughters, on all people. And that now, because of the work of Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have a peace that passes all understanding. Have we become too familiar or have we become too calloused or have we begun to treat the gospel like my old pair of Zetra rollerblades? And just think, oh, it's kind of cool. I'm glad I had that experience a while ago. Keith Green is a um, famous songwriter who was a, a big deal during the Jesus movement, sadly was killed in a plane crash. And he was singing a song. I can't even remember the name of the song, but um, he has a moment where he breaks down and he starts talking uh, and asking the question, what is, what is a Christian? And he has some really silly lines like, uh, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Uh, and it's like just silly, kind of dumb, but actually like there's, it's packed with a lot of theological truth. And then I thought he just gave the most ridiculous answer. He's, he just says, you know what? I have a great definition for a Christian. And he said, it's someone who is bananas for Jesus. Granted, we could get into a lot of theological conversations to really make sure we understand what we're talking about here. But I love what he said there. Because if you are bananas for Jesus, you are going to share Jesus with others. And as Peter's starting his letter, he's starting with a foundation of what's true, and he's encouraging his people of the reality of the era in which they live and building them up, and getting them excited about the reality that we live in the best time ever, because Jesus, we're this side of Easter. Jesus has come. He's been crucified. He's been resurrected, and now reigns victoriously, and his spirit has been shared among all who believe. Would the Lord refresh us anew. I'm not going to sing it because I'm not going to do a great job, but Keith Green does sing, Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we do pray, even, even that silly phrase, would you increase our banananess for Jesus? Would we delight in this reality and truth? And would it not be theory? Would it not be old? Would it not be uh, bland? Would it not be like my Zetra rollerblades? Because Jesus, you are so much better. Or would it be right in the forefront of our nose and our eyes? And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to continue to work. We need you to breathe fresh life in us. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to invite you to respond now. Perhaps you are with a few people. You might be by yourself. Wherever you're at, one of the things I want to invite you to do is I want you to take a few moments just to respond uh, in prayer and maybe journaling. What's God stirring in you? Take a few minutes to respond in that way. We also want to invite you to respond by taking communion. Take the bread, which represents the body of Jesus, and the juice, which represents the blood of Christ, which was shed for you and I. Take that. Delight in it. As it goes into your body, we just invite you to rejoice and to celebrate that this is the time in which you live, and it is not an accident. We also invite you to worship, whether it's through joining us on the live stream or through uh, putting on a playlist on YouTube or through grabbing a guitar or even singing a cappella. Perhaps you want to go put on Keith's green, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Would you sing that? Declare it. We also respond by giving. And so we invite you to give through our website, uh, online, uh, and we invite you to make that a regular rhythm and practice of your life as we worship God in all areas of life, including finances. We love you guys. We're excited for what God is doing. May he encourage you and bless you throughout the week. Care and know that you carry him with you wherever you go.